everybody! Welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. I am back today with another Old Testament story, one that's culturally significant in a lot of ways to a lot of people groups. It's the story of the Exodus. Maybe you think Exodus sounds like exit. Well, yeah, it's a lot of people exiting a country. Um, it's, I promise it's exciting though. Uh, so there's like, there's this a whole book, the next book after Genesis, you remember the story of all the beginnings, um, and it tells this story, and um, it's got, it's got some violence and disturbing things in it, though as always, I try to handle things gently, I still would like to give a content note for stories like this, although uh, I don't think you'll want to miss this one, because it is the friggin' Exodus story. So I was wondering how I should open this episode, there's a reason. I decided to go ahead and tell this story now, and it has to do with some current events, um, which I'm not really going to get into, but <clears throat> maybe y'all can talk about it, I don't know. Uh, sometimes when a story is culturally significant, I like to start by talking about some of the ways the story has been understood, or the role the narrative has played in American history, stuff like that. I don't really know where to begin with this one. It's a big, incredibly significant story, and also I haven't told it yet, so it might not make sense if you don't know the story, of course. So I'll get to the first part of the story today and drop on drop in some uh, cultural connections at the end. Um, as a little note, I usually add even more of that kind of stuff in my side notes on Patreon. Uh, the extra thoughts that I didn't really fit in the episode available to patrons for every episode starting at $1 a month if you're interested in that kind of thing. Although, of course, I will not be intentionally shorting y'all any of the information I think needs to go directly with the story or any other stories. That's just some extra content I make. There's also um, a really cool bonus episode where we retold the story of David and Goliath. Um, my my nine-year-old wrote it, um, and we, we told it like it was a Dungeons & Dragons uh, game, tabletop role-playing game campaign. So that was a lot of fun. Um, so that's for $5 subscribers. But anyway, commercial over. Okay, now I go with the story. Come on. Anytime. Once upon a time, there was a chosen people who were the Lord God's people, but they were not in the land promised to them. They were strangers in a strange land, and the Lord seems to have not really been around for a while. The Lord God had made big promises. He promised the land of Canaan to Abraham, and he promised that Abraham's children would be a huge nation. He made the same promise to Abraham's son Isaac, and to Isaac's son Jacob, who was also called Israel, and Israel was what the people were called too. Jacob had lost one of his sons, Joseph, uh, who is other sons sold into slavery in Egypt, but Joseph wasn't dead like Jacob thought. Actually, God made Joseph become wildly successful. Joseph became the second most important person in the whole country of Egypt, and he was like a father to the Pharaoh himself. And in a time of desperate famine, you know, like when they couldn't get food to grow, the entire family of Jacob, the entire family of Israel, went to Egypt to survive. They were treated well, at least at first. But the Egyptians did not like the Jewish people, or the Hebrews, as they were also called, because they were a different ethnicity from a different culture, and the Egyptians believed themselves to be better than the Israelites. Plain old racism, we all have heard of it, I think. So, anyway, eventually Jacob died. I told all this story, like, several episodes ago, so I don't remember the numbers. But, um, but y'all can go back in the archives and look it up if you didn't ever listen to it yet. 
But this is just the recap. So yeah, Jacob died. His sons traveled back to Canaan to bury Jacob's body. Then everyone returned to Egypt. The children, the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of Jacob hadn't been allowed by Pharaoh to leave. That's a bit of foreshadowing there. Eventually, Joseph died. And before he died, he made his descendants promise to one day take his bones back to Canaan, where his family was from and where God had promised the people would be a country. Joseph believed in that promise, and that belief was passed down for generations. Over the years, Joseph was forgotten by the Egyptians, and Hebrews who had been born in Egypt since then were no longer welcomed or even tolerated as guests in Egypt. However, they were not allowed to leave either. They were forced to become slaves in Egypt. And this is the legend of how the people of Israel were freed from slavery in Egypt and began to head toward the promised land. Despite that the people were slaves in Egypt, the Lord God blessed their families and they all had many children. They became such a large group of people that the Pharaoh of Egypt was afraid that the people might one day be strong enough to fight against him. So he oppressed them and put slave masters over them and forced them to build entire cities as slaves, but no matter how miserable and tired he made them, their families kept growing and he became more and more afraid that they would one day rise up against him. He didn't want to lose his slaves altogether, so to keep the Hebrews from growing a strong army, he ordered the midwives, that is, the women who helped when a pregnant woman gave birth to a baby, to kill every baby that was a boy so the boys couldn't grow up and fight him. I know this is really gender essentialist and sexist, with the assigned gender at birth and only the boys can be in the army, but uh, that's kind of the text I'm working with. So sorry about that. Anyway, the midwives were not gonna kill any of the babies. They feared God more than Pharaoh and also they wanted to do like, you know, the right thing. So they refused to obey Pharaoh because he was asking him, them to do an evil thing. So instead, they told him that the Hebrews gave birth so quickly the midwives couldn't possibly get there before the baby was already born and safe in their mother's arms. What were they going to do then? Ha! That wasn't true, but, you know, whatever. So, uh, Pharaoh didn't know that. He didn't know much. So God blessed the people and also gave the midwives healthy families of their own to bless them for helping the people, but Pharaoh was more afraid than ever. And because the midwives wouldn't carry out his evil plan, he commanded his people to just take away every baby boy from the Hebrews and throw them into the river to die. That's pretty horrible. And it was really terrifying for the Hebrew people to have a baby and never know when the baby might be taken away forever because all the normal Egyptian people decided they would just go along with and help Pharaoh kill an entire generation. So one woman had a baby and he was a boy and she kept him secret for three months and he started to grow and it got kind of hard to hide him and she was worried that Pharaoh's soldiers would find the baby and take him away and throw him into the Nile River. So she came up with a plan. She wove a basket, a little baby-sized basket, and she coated it with tar to make it watertight so it would float and wouldn't leak. And it was like a little boat and she put him in the basket. And she put the basket safe in the reeds of the River Nile. When you think about it, technically, she put him in the river like she's supposed to. Except she has a plan and she's really hoping it works. So what happens is she walks away and she leaves her little girl, you know, innocent little girl. No one's even paying attention to this little Hebrew girl. She's just hanging out by the river. Meanwhile, Pharaoh's daughter comes to the river to bathe and she sees a basket. And she's like, huh, what's that basket doing there? 
And she sent one of her servants to fetch it. And, of course, it was a baby. And he was crying. And she sees this adorable little baby. And she's like, oh. And she felt sorry for him. It's one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And she decided she'd take care of him. But he kept crying, probably because he was hungry. And Miriam, the little girl, the baby's big sister, was watching all this. And she said, oh, ma'am, would you like me to find a Hebrew woman to take care of your baby for you? So uh, Miriam brought her own mother, the baby's own mother, and Pharaoh's daughter paid her money to take care of the baby. And then when the child was a little older, he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter and she called him Moses. Because Moses sounds like the Hebrew word for drawing out. And she had, you know, drawn him or taken him out of the water. So Moses grew up in Pharaoh's family like a prince, but he knew he was one of the Hebrews. And one day when he was an adult, he saw an Egyptian man beating a Hebrew, and he was shocked and angry at the violence being used against his people. And he looked around. He didn't see anyone watching. So he killed the man who had, had assaulted the other person and hid the body in the sand. And then another day, he saw two Israelites fighting, and he's like, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And then the man was like, who made you the judge? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And he wasn't, but he realized that what he had thought was a really carefully hidden secret was not a secret at all. And he knew when Pharaoh heard he would want to kill Moses as a punishment for committing murder. So Moses fled for his life out into the desert until he came to the land of the Midianites. The Midianites were the descendants of Midian who was one of Abraham's sons that he had with a different wife than his first wife, Sarah. You remember Abraham, the father of Isaac, the father of Jacob, who was also called Israel. So they weren't, you know, from Isaac. So they weren't like the chosen people, but they did actually remember the Lord God, the God of Abraham. And the priest of Midian, Jethro, had like seven daughters that took care of his flocks of sheep. But they would always get bullied away from the well where they would water the sheep. So they, every day, they had to wait until everyone else was done and water their flocks last every single day. Well, this day, Moses was there, and he saw a bunch of men bullying a few girls. And he's like, that's not fair. So he chased them away. And then the girls got to water their sheep first for once, and they got back home so early because of it that their dad was like, what happened? Why are you home so early? And they, they told him, an Egyptian helped us. And he's like, you just left a stranger far from home who helped you out there? You should have invited him here to have dinner. So they went back and they found him. That's not like he had anywhere else to be. And he did want dinner. And then dinner turned into years and he lived with him and became a shepherd. And, you know, took care of sheep and married one of Jethro's daughters. And he had a baby. He named his son Gershom, which means stranger. Because Moses still felt like a stranger in a land where he didn't belong. He lived there a long time, but always felt like a stranger. He didn't belong in Midian, among the Midianites. He didn't really belong in Pharaoh's house with the Egyptian royalty, but having been raised by Egyptian royalty, he didn't have the same experiences as his people, the Israelites, either. He was a man with no real home. But the way I read it, this is not one of those nice stories where the main character finds out where he belongs. Not exactly. Maybe it's kind of a coming-of-age story where he has a major life transition and ultimately finds out what he's supposed to do and does it. Granted, he's kind of an old guy by now. He's actually 80 years old, though apparently he's still pretty healthy and active. So I don't know that we're really supposed to think of him as an old guy. 
But mostly this is the kind of epic story where someone who thinks he's settled down gets called into a big adventure. You remember how Moses, as a baby, got his name because he'd been drawn out of the water, huh? His name sounds the he- like the Hebrew word for draw out. Well, that wasn't the only time he'd be drawn out of somewhere. One day when he was like 80, two-thirds of the way through what was believed to be a righteous man's potential lifespan, Moses was out taking care of his father-in-law's flock of sheep near this mountain, Horeb, also called Mount Sinai or the Mountain of God, and he saw something really strange. There was a bush, and there was a fire in the bush, but this little shrub was not burning up. The wood wasn't being consumed by the fire. The leaves weren't turning to ash, but there was a fire. He was very curious, so Moses Moses decided to go closer, and the Lord God, y'all remember I mentioned him, the God of Abraham, he saw that Moses was going to investigate the bush, and he's like, ha, yes, it worked, I caught one. And he called out, Moses, Moses, take off your sandals, because you're standing on holy ground. Because, like, for many cultures, wearing shoes in a holy place is disrespectful, because, you know, they're covered with dirt from walking around. Anyway, then God spoke to Moses from the bush and said, I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. I'm not going to try to do a God voice. I'm not very good at that. But anyway, so Moses had grown up in a family that had gods, different gods, Egyptian gods. But he apparently did know something about this God of Abraham because he covered his face. He was afraid to look at the God of his fathers. And the Lord God spoke again and he said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt I've heard them crying out because they're oppressed by the slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to save them from the Egyptians, and I will bring them to a good land with plenty of space and uh, plenty of things to eat, the land of the Canaanites. The Israelites have been crying out to me, and I've heard them, and I've seen the Egyptians hurting them. So you go now. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And I feel like Moses is pretty with God on this whole thing. I mean, he killed one oppressor because he had seen the suffering of the people. And then he ran away because he's afraid he'd be killed. But the power of a God of Abraham, he saw the same suffering and he could do a lot more than Moses. Right, right. Except wait, God's big plan is to send Moses to talk to Pharaoh and bring the people out. Wait a second. Who am I that I should speak to Pharaoh and bring the people out of Egypt? Moses asked. Basically, that's polite for, why would you pick me? I don't feel like it's a good choice, but more diplomatic. I will be with you, said God, and this will be your sign that this is all my doing. When you're done, you will all worship me at this mountain. Okay, said Moses, but supposing, supposing I go to the Israelites and suppose I say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say, oh yeah, well, what's his name? Then what do I say? Or basically, so uh, when you say you'll be with me, who is that exactly? I am who I am, said the Lord. Tell the Israelites, the I am has sent me to you. Tell them the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent you. Like he already said that. Bring together the elders, God said. The leaders of Israel, tell them I've watched over them, tell them I've seen how they're treated, and I have promised to bring them out of Egypt to a good land. And then God tells him, like, everything that's going to happen. Then the elders of Israel will listen to you, God told him, and you will go to Pharaoh, and you'll ask to leave Egypt for three days to worship your God in the wilderness. 
but Pharaoh will not let them go unless somebody powerful forces him. So I will reach out my hand and strike the Egyptians with many wonders, and Pharaoh will let you go. And when God says wonders here, God doesn't mean wonderful in the sense that it's something really cool and nice. It's like something that you'll wonder how it was possible. So it must be God and God must be really powerful and also really, really angry. Not like, not like good wonders. Um, and that's the plan here. That's the whole plot outline for the story. Like, whoa, God, spoilers here. Spoiler alert. So, you know, at least Moses knows what to expect, right? But Moses still has questions, even though the Lord God told him everything that was going to happen. He doesn't really know the Lord is right. He doesn't know who the Lord is. Like, he just met the God. So he wants something more of a sign than, a, than eventually you'll be back at this mountain to worship me after you've been successful. So he's like, uh, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't want to listen? Or what if they say, the Lord didn't really appear to you? Moses asked. Uh, What's that in your hand? God asked. A staff, Moses said. He had a staff, you know, long stick with a roundy part at the top, like shepherds and pictures usually have. And uh, the Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses is like, oh, okay, sure. And he throws it on the ground and it turned into a snake. And Moses was not expecting this. God had not told him what was going to happen. And he was scared because like it's suddenly a staff that was now it's a snake. And so he ran away, and then God told him to pick it up by the tail. And he, you know, really cautiously, he reaches his arm out, and he grabs the tail of the snake, and it turns back into the staff. And then God's like, okay, now here's another cool one. Put your hand in your cloak. And then, and then take it out. And so Moses, like, puts his hand in his shirt, and he, he takes it out. And the skin is, like, suddenly diseased with this horrible, contagious disease. And it's like, <gasps> uh, gross, horrible. What is happening? Am I diseased forever? And then God's like, okay, now put it back in your shirt. This is super cool. And then, uh, so he does that. And when he brought his hand out the second time, it was healthy again, um, which is, is great. Um, and then the Lord said, if they didn't believe those signs, then he could also turn water into blood. But he doesn't have Moses do that one here. Uh, I guess God only knows like scary and creepy stuff at this point. Anyway, those are the three signs he provided Moses with. So Moses could have no further objection to God, right? But Moses spoke to God again. Uh, very politely, due to how scary God was, and said, pardon me, but I'm just not very good at public speaking. And God said, who made man's mouth? I did. I will teach you what to say. And Moses, being out of excuses, I guess, said what I think he wanted to say the entire time, which was, pardon me, but please send a different person. And then God was angry, but he tells Moses that he'd send Moses' older brother, Aaron, to meet Moses, and Aaron could do the public speaking for Moses. God would give the words to Moses, Moses would give the words to Aaron, and Aaron would say them to the people and to Pharaoh, but Moses would perform the miraculous signs with his staff. And then I guess Moses ran out of objections, or at least he decided that God was scarier than Pharaoh because he told his father-in-law that he was headed back to Egypt to check on his people. And the Lord also told Mo Moses that, like, everyone who wanted to kill Moses was dead so he could go back to Egypt safely. Perfect. Not like he'd be getting into any new trouble, right? Sarcasm. So he went. He went with his wife and their son. And Aaron, his brother, came to meet him. And together they went back to Egypt. First step, convincing the Israelites they were legit. 
So they met with the elders. Aaron told the people everything God told Moses to say, and Moses did the miracles, and they believed Moses. And when they heard that the Lord was watching them and was concerned, they were like, they bowed down and worshiped the Lord. And then with the people ready to follow him out of Egypt, Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, uh, the Lord God says to let my people go have a festival in the wilderness. See, at first they weren't even asking to be totally free. Uh, just have a few days to leave, although God's end game was that they'd leave forever. But um, even this request, Pharaoh wouldn't agree to. I know a lot of gods, but I don't know the Lord God, and I won't listen to what he says. The people cannot go, said Pharaoh. They should be working, not worrying about this new God, whoever it even is. So then Pharaoh said that they all had to make as many bricks as usual, but they had to gather their own supplies for making bricks this time. He said, if they had time to ask to leave for a festival, then they have too much time. Uh, so he wouldn't let his people give them the straw to make the bricks. They had to find their own, which made it a lot harder, and they couldn't make as many bricks as they were supposed to because there was so much more work now. So then the Egyptian overseers beat them, like physically hurted them for not meeting their goals. And Pharaoh was like, y'all are just lazy. And then the people were mad at Moses because Moses had talked to Pharaoh and now Pharaoh's mad at them. And then Moses was mad at God. He said, I thought you were going to save the people. I came here to help the people, but they are suffering more than ever. And then God said what he'd already said. The Pharaoh was not going to listen at first. Pharaoh only knew about power and anger. And God was going to show the Egyptians how powerful he was. That would be the only way he could get Pharaoh to listen. Uh, the Lord God promised to take care of the people, to be their God, and take them to a good land. But when Moses told them this time, they didn't really listen because they were suffering so much more under Pharaoh right now. And then God said, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses said, my own people won't listen, so why would Pharaoh listen? But he went anyways. He went to Pharaoh, and his older brother Aaron spoke for him, like Moses was God and Aaron was the prophet. And Moses stood there looking kind of stern while Aaron told Pharaoh, the Lord God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, well, give me a sign as to who this God is, something that would show there really was a Lord God backing up Moses. So Aaron threw the staff on the ground and it became a snake. And Pharaoh was like, not sure how cool that was. So he asks his high priest if they could do the same thing. And actually they did. They threw their staffs on the ground and they became snakes. But Aaron's snake swallowed up everyone else's snakes. But Pharaoh wasn't moved by this sign. He didn't listen to Aaron and Moses. He didn't let the people go. It was going to take a bit more. It would happen, but it was going to happen after a miserable battle between God and Pharaoh before Pharaoh would agree to let his massive free workforce of enslaved people leave the country. I will get to more of the story in the next episode. For now, I wanted to talk about a couple big cultural connections. One is that the early American colonials, you know, the, the people who colonized America, believed that they were like the Israelite slaves because they were seeking a new land in America. And they believed, they actually believed they were specially chosen by God to create a new country in that land. They weren't really fleeing slavery at all. It was more like a, a persecution complex. 
And it's, it's pretty ironic because those people actually did enslave people themselves. So those white colonizers believed they were God's chosen people, but they actually kind of had a lot in common with Pharaoh. So I don't find that very compelling. Another connection that will probably make a lot more sense to y'all is that the slaves in America saw themselves in this story. The white Christians who enslaved people forced their own religion on the black people they enslaved, wiping out their native cultures, which is horrible. But then the black people took some of those Bible stories for their own and found hope in them, including this one. There are songs, African-American spirituals, about Moses and God freeing the Israelites from slavery. In fact, do y'all know about Harriet Tubman? Um, Probably. They teach her pretty young in school, I think. Um, She was enslaved and she freed herself. And then she went back to the South, back into danger, risking her own life many, many times to help save others and take them to freedom in the North. And when she would sing lines from the spiritual song, Go Down Moses, as a code to let people know she was there and would help them escape. You could actually listen to some variations of that song on YouTube. Uh, So you can go look it up. Again, the song title is Go Down Moses. So the enslaved people really resonated with this story. And I'll tell you that some of the white people didn't like that because it made them the bad guy. I mean, they were the bad guys, but they didn't like being the bad guys. They should have just not been bad people. Anyways, but the, the solution the British people found to this wasn't, oh, we'll free the slaves because it's evil. The solution they found is we'll just make a new Bible that doesn't have this story. They cut out the story about Moses and the Exodus because they didn't, and, and they made the Bible specifically give to enslaved people because they didn't want the people they'd enslaved to get any ideas about being free. <sighs> so um, trying to use religion to uphold racism and slavery wasn't just a British thing. Many white American Christians did the same thing. In fact, the Southern Baptist sect of Christianity actually began before the Civil War as a defense of keeping slaves because they wanted to justify white Christians enslaving people. Because many other Christians before the Civil War actually had begun to join the abolitionist movement to say, hey, this is wrong, we should end slavery. And so the Southern Baptist Church basically began as a way to say, no, slavery is good actually. Many people inside and outside of the Southern Baptist Church are fighting the racism inherent in the beliefs of that church to this day, while unfortunately others fight to keep the racism and others think they can remain neutral. Uh, My family was connected to a lot of Southern Baptists, although our church wasn't exactly Southern Baptist. It's kind of weird. Anyway, my family had a lot of racist beliefs and they believed their God was totally cool with that. Uh, And when I fight against evangelical beliefs in God, Those are the beliefs I'm fighting, the ones I was raised with. But uh, not all Christianity is like that. Other branches of Christianity sprung up out of the belief in a God who saw the suffering of oppressed people and was concerned about them and would fight Pharaoh and anyone else who wanted to keep them as slaves. As another little side note, this story, which this episode today is only the beginning of, is also really important in Judaism. Like, it's a really big deal. I think it's also really important in Islam. So, but my experience of this story is through a Christian worldview. That's the one I feel able to talk about. So that's the one I discuss more, but there's a lot of interpretations of this story out there. Also, 
There is a movie of this story called The Prince of Egypt that I watched when I was a kid. I watched it in theaters, which was a big deal. We didn't go to theaters often. But I remember it was a little controversial in some parts of conservative Christianity because the filmmakers consulted not just Christians, but also Jewish and Muslim people about how to tell the story, as, you know, they should. Anyway, I liked it then. I liked it again when I watched it a few months ago. It's it's obviously a very theistic perspective, but... um. It, it's a good movie. I thought it was good. It tells more of the story than I've told so far today. So like, you know, if you don't want to finish the story yet, don't watch the movie yet, I guess. But it's, uh, I'll be continuing the story anyways, though. I will next, in, in two weeks. It's kind of a big story and I wanted to take plenty of time to do it justice. So come back in two weeks when I tell more of the story of the Exodus. Thank you for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, star child.